0: The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at overlandpark.cc. Welcome to Church Online, everybody. I'm so glad that you're here again and uh, joining online. Give us a a like down there and let us know you're um, involved in the service today. We're so excited. We're getting closer uh, to being able to meet together, and we can't wait till that day that we get to meet in person and actually have... A worship experience together, and just raise the roof um, on the church. But now, like, let's just jump back in today, um, studying still in the book of Hosea, learning about the lion. And uh, we're going to be in Hosea chapter 6 and chapter 7. And I'm going to share some verses. I'm going to be pulling that, what's going on in there. And I'd, I'd encourage you to sit um, in that section of the word and kind of dig into it a little deeper uh, this week as you're sitting with the Lord and hearing his voice. But uh, we, we, we learned some really cool things today. Now, here's the deal. like Like the government and the country, and the state of the country, and all that's going on, say what you will um, uh, about uh, Donald Trump, but we at least have to say that he's at least trying in his mind to make what he believes uh, America great again, and so he believes he can make America great again, and he's found himself in this incredible battle with the media, and so on a daily basis, man, it's just like Um, going back and forth between the media, and I really, I think, as we look at this, I think he believes that he really could move forward and make make America great again if it wasn't for fake news. And I get it, man. I, I'm, I get frustrated when I watch the news, and sometimes I'm like, man, just tell me what's happening. Don't try to tell me how to think about what's happening. All I, wanted, all I want from reporters is just to tell me what's happening. Let me use my own mind to make a decision. Don't try to influence me. And so it seems to be that we're living in this postmodern world, man, where, uh, where everything, like a, a world of relativism, where people just kind of make up their own truth. And so that's what we end up with. And so that the question becomes, is, if, if um, the, the administration right now, if the administration wasn't dealing with fake news, could we make America great again? And the answer to the question is sadly, no, okay? We could not because our, our country has the same disease and sickness that Israel had as Hosea has been being used by God to make this prophecy to them. And what it is, is it's fake repentance, and we, as we dig into this today, you're going to see this is that it, it, repentance is such a vital part of our faith. I mean it, I, and I, if you, if you will track with me, and you will just let this let this sink into your heart today. And, and if the lights could come on for you on how significant repentance is for, for our faith, if you're struggling with following the Lord, it could be all about repentance. It could be you're not quite understanding repentance. And so uh, as we look at this, we see that Jesus spoke about repentance all the time. As a matter of fact, even before he started speaking, John the Baptist, the first prophet that had been risen, raised up in 400 years, He's preaching a baptism of repentance. And then Jesus comes along and over and over and over again, he talks about repentance. And so in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, he says, The time has come, he said, um, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, the problem we face in America is a sickness of sin. Now, when we deal with, with sin and we go, okay, what, what are we talking about when you say sin? Okay, sin is rebellion from God. When, God. when God tells us that we're supposed to do something and we rebel against that, then we are standing away from what God has clearly said we should do. So anytime in our lives that we're standing away from what God has clearly communicated, we are engaging in sin. And so sometimes we think about things that are socially unacceptable. We might talk about how rampant um, addiction is in our country. We might talk about um, pornography and the sin of the eyes and the lust that goes on with that. And we would go, man, these, these are things that socially we get that. But we also have to bring into the equation that when we come to know the Lord, we have the Holy Spirit, and He might prompt us to do something uh, that... It's good, and we don't listen. God says, I want you to, like, through the, through maybe some reading of scripture, and we're praying, and the Holy Spirit nudges us, and he says, he says, men, you should call so-and-so, and you just fill a prompting all of a sudden, and you get desensitized to listening to the voice of the Lord in your life, and you don't do what he's clearly trying to show you that he wants you to do then that's sin, too, because you're rebelling against what God has asked you to do. Now, when we look at the country and we look at the, the, the state that we're in, as we know there's an incredible, an incredible attack on the Word of God. And, and, and so when we, we, we just look down to the basics, man, and we boil it down, and we get things plain and simple, there are clearly things God expects us to walk out in obedience. And we look at the world and we say, man, are people who are claiming to be followers of Jesus walking in that obedience. And so here's what I see, is we try to believe the good news without repentance, okay? And when you try to believe the good news of the gospel without repentance, you have just made fake good news, you're no longer you're no longer centering down and and, dr- and drilling down on what the gospel is in its purest form. You've changed it into something else. And so as we jump into Hosea chapter six, verse three, that's what's going on. Remember last week, man, we dove down in there and we, we, we just established, you can't hide anything from God. And there was a real firm, stern warning that God used the prophet Hosea to, to be raised up and communicate to Israel. And we extrapolated some things from the text that we could apply to ourselves. And so it was strong so when we get, to, we get to Hosea chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, we see a response from Israel. And it's fascinating. Let's read it together. It says, Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. After two days, he will revive us, And on the third day, he will restore us, that we may live in his presence. Let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge him. As surely as the sun rises, he will appear. He will come to us like the winter rains, um, like the spring rains that water the earth. And So, man, you read that and you're like, man, that sounds really good. That sounds like good news. But here's the deal. It's fake good news. And, and, and we, we, you say, what do you mean it's fake good news? That sounds like the gospel to me. No, it's fake good news. And, and we know that because it is missing crucial elements that have to be a part of the gospel and the saving work of Christ and God himself. And so God points it out. And, and he starts to do that in verse 4. And so when we, we, we look in verse 4... Um, he says this. What can I do with you, Ephraim? Now, if you're if you're a parent today and you're struggling with one of your kids and you don't know what to do, God can relate. Here's what He's saying. What can I do with you, Ephraim? He says, "What what can I do with you, Judah? Your love is like the morning mist, like the early dew that disappears." therefore i cut you in pieces with my prophets meaning he's using the word to to make a deep cut and wound into their lives i killed you with the words of my mouth my judgments flash like lightning upon you for i desire mercy not sacrifice and acknowledgement of god rather than burn offerings and so as we read this uh, portion of the text God is pointing something out very important to them. And one of the things that he says to them, it, it, again, he's been talking to them about their unfaithfulness he's, and, and warning them about their love and their acknowledgement of him. And, and here he says, your love is like a morning dew. Now just stop and think of it a moment. Um, If you like to turkey hunt, you get up early in the morning and you get to see the morning dew. And sometimes the dew could be really heavy and even leave sort of a fog on the ground. And, and so it's pretty fascinating to, to see that experience, especially in a low-lying area. And it, it kind of comes down and that, that dew and that heavy mist of the morning descends down. But in just a little bit of time, as the sun creeps up over the horizon and it begins to shine down and the heat of the day starts to pick up, then what happens to that dew is it disappears as it is exposed to the light. And so God says to them as they're saying, come, let us return to the Lord. He responds to them and he says, he says you're like a morning mist, a morning dew that it's, it's there and then all of a sudden it just disappears, it's gone. And so God, he points this out to them. And this is a picture of many people today who claim to believe the good news. As they claim that they know Jesus, they claim to believe in the gospel, yet we don't see any transformation happening in their lives. That's why there are so many people right now, okay? Let me just talk to you since I, for some reason I feel led to address this. There are so many politicians right now that are quoting Scripture. And what they would be, uh, in quoting Scripture, you're bringing me into the equation, bro. And so I'm going to look at your life and I'm going to say, okay, by based upon the behavior that you're displaying and how you're trying to quote this Scripture and, and use it, like, it's fake good news to you because your life doesn't match what you're claiming to believe. And I, I think, and I, like again, I'm pointing the finger at politicians, but I see it in the church too. I see it all over the world. And this is what I've been, the Lord has been calling me to challenge the church with, um, and I mean the church capital C, is that we got so many people in America that are claiming to believe the good news. There are so many conversions, man. There are so many conversions happening in churches and people say, man, we got this many people that got saved. We got this many people that got saved. And, and, and I want to hold on to that. And I want to believe it. I want to believe it is true. But the problem that I have is we're not seeing an incredible transformation of culture. And so we could look back and we go, okay, over the last decade, how many people in the evangelical church have come to know the Lord in the last decade? And then we look at the culture that we have. And so we know there's something wrong because if people were really coming to know the Lord, there would be a transformation of the culture that we're living in. And I think the problem is, is that people are believing fake good news. And so here's, here's, what, here's the first takeaway. Fake good news speaks of salvation, but it does not wrestle with sin, okay? Fake good news speaks of salvation, but it does not wrestle with sin. That's clearly what the Israelites were doing in these three verses. Come, let us return. He has torn us up pieces. He will heal us. He will save us. He will return like the, the winter and the spring rains. God is coming to do a work in our lives, Okay? And so there's no talk of sin. And and we see this, we see this like uh, in people. We see it in the lay people. We see it oftentimes uh, in in preachers. They're preachers who are incredibly famous, man. And they just talk about, man, uh, God is going to do something in your life. and, And you just need to hold on. And you just need to keep believing. You need to keep believing. Listen, if you're believing fake good news, it's useless. And this teaches us. God's chosen people. He's calling out to the nation of Israel. And, and we see fake good news speaks of salvation, but it doesn't wrestle with sin. Notice that in their prayer, there is no reference to sin whatsoever. The word is not even mentioned. It doesn't even come up. And so that is the problem with American Christianity is there's no depth. It's become too easy to believe. And there are people over on the, in the eastern part of the hemisphere, that they're dying literally for their faith. Like they're, they're losing their heads and they're decapitating them because they will not say that they are not followers of Jesus. I am not confident that if that were to happen on our soil today, that all of the people who are claiming to be Jesus would, would take a position where they would not deny him. I think they would deny him. And they would be like, well, you know, the Lord, it's okay if I do that because the Lord's grace and as long as I believe, and even though I'm going to say this in my mouth, I, I know that I can believe, and He is going to still be with me. But that's not the example that we have from the early church fathers. And so the the the, the problem with Christianity in America is it's no depth, no depth. There's, it's shallow when it comes to sin. We speak of salvation, but we do not wrestle with sin. And I'm reminded of Jesus. Um, in, the, in a story in uh, the, the Gospel of Luke, chapter uh, 18, verse uh, 13. Let's just turn over there and look at that. Luke 18, 13. All right, it says, I'm going to start up uh, up here. Jesus told this parable, and it starts in verse 10. I'm going to start in verse 10. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and he prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, it says. And and he beat his breast and he said, God, Have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And so we see that this one guy, he has a clear recognition of sin in his life. The other guy, the guy number one, he has a clear recognition of sin but he doesn't have a clear recognition of sin in his life. And so he is believing, but he is believing something fake because he's not taking an internal look at his own soul. One man wrestled with sin, the other did not. And so what we do is often we we get people to make a a step toward conversion, but we don't take them through and teach them about the cost of being a disciple of Jesus. Jesus. And so sometimes I think that what we have done is we are just emotionally giving people an incredible talk about the good news of the gospel, but not dealing with the reality of the destructive power of sin. And so they don't come to a saving knowledge, they come to an emotional knowledge of the good news of the gospel, as opposed to a reality check that they are sinners and offensive to God. And so we end up with a culture that everybody believes that they are, they are right with God and everything is okay in their lives. And so one man wrestles with sin while another does not. And here's what I know, is that we cannot have an awakening in America. Like we will not have an awakening. Now where does an awakening start? It starts in the church. And awakening, as we've looked at the incredible, if we look at the incredible awakenings that have happened in the in the history of, of, of uh, the recent history of the world, in the last hundred 100 to 150 years, the great awakenings start in the church as people who are believing fake good news come to the reality that they do not know God and they are deep in their sin. And they make confession and are transformed. And so the church starts getting movement and it is no longer just kind of this experience that we're having. It is a transformational thing where people are starting to recognize something is going on in that place and people started to get saved, and that's what happened in the Great Awakenings. Man, just people started getting saved right and left, and it was the power of God descending down upon a people because they were coming to a saving knowledge of the real good news, not the fake good news, and so we can't have an awakening in our church as long as people are not willing to Um, uh, be aware of their sin, to acknowledge it and turn from it. Okay. We cannot have an awakening in our country until that happens. And so it doesn't matter how much fake news there is out in the media. Right now we got some fake news that we need to deal with in the church because all of these people that are in the media, a good percentage of them would tell you they belong to a church. And so we got, you see where the problem comes is is, is the culture is always going the way of, uh, of, of the church, man. Is the church is either having an impact on the culture or the culture is having an impact on the church and the church is shifted to try to attract the culture because it needs the culture in order to sustain itself because Jesus is not doing any work there, okay? So people, it doesn't matter how many people you have in your church. That is not what defines whether or not the work of God is happening in your church. When you see the work of God, you know it is the work of God. And so it is a recognition and an awareness of sin that brings about that transformation in the life of a person. And so fake good news speaks of salvation, but it does not wrestle with sin. Here's the second thing we notice. Fake good news does not get personal with God. Okay? And so, like, we say, well, I got to. We talk a lot about a personal relationship with Jesus. It's it's good to to define that relationship that way. But I think a lot of times we've just learned how to get personal with Jesus on the grace side and not the truth side. And so we're constantly um, doing like the Israelites and we're just presuming things about God. They assumed, the nation of Israel assumed, that God would forgive and restore them because that's God's job, right? That's that's kind of the position that we take and it is very dangerous and, and it is something that has crept into the culture of the church, okay? The American church, there is a creeping in of this attitude of assumption that God forgives and it is based on our outward repentance. And so, like, I, as long as I just know and I acknowledge that I'm a sinner, then I'm okay, and it doesn't really matter how much sin um, that, that I'm engaged with, and that's dangerous. It's like going to a restaurant with a, a famous person who's wealthy, a rich person, and you know they're going to pick up the tab, and you just eat whatever you want because you know that you aren't the one that has to pay for it. They're picking up the tab, and it's treating God like that in your sin. And so you don't worry about your sin because you know all of your sin is covered by the grace of God. And that is true. Our sin is covered by the grace of God, but it is a fallacy that we should not be concerned about sin that we are engaging in, especially when we call ourselves the children of God and claim to know Jesus as personal savior. Like that that you don't see that in the New Testament you you don't see and so we we've 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 made Jesus into this other thing man where he fits where the way that we want him to fit and doesn't require any transformation of our lives and so we we just kind of say man well if you believe that's all that it takes but that's not what Jesus said he said if you repent and believe he didn't say if you just believe he said you must repent and believe and so this this idea of repentance is extremely uh, important okay, and so just to kind of illustrate what's going on here the the lord kind of he 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 kind of hit me with this this week is that men I love boats okay I got my first boat when i was uh 18, I think 18 years old, I saved up, I had a dirt bike, sold it, man, I had some more money saved up, and I bought me a 1973 Cobalt, it was, it was a, it was a sweet boat, man, it was like 20, 21 foot long, it was a tri-haul, it had a 164 horse Mercruiser Cruiser in it, and I think I gave like uh, 20, $3,500 for it, I think I gave, and, and so it, it had an inboard, outboard motor in it, which means half the motor is on the inside of the boat, Half the motor sticks out the transom, and it's in the water. And so a lot of the motor is uh, on the outside, and and some of it's on the inside. It has a regular uh, uh, car engine in it. And then we have outboard motors. And so a lot of fishing boats, and some fishing ski boats, and some some have uh, several outboard motors on them because uh, uh, they get more power out of that. But the entire thing is on the outside of the boat, and it hangs on the transom. And so you gain more space in the boat by putting that thing on the outside uh, of the boat and hanging it on the back. And then we have what, man, I've wanted all my life. I finally uh, was able to, to, to get one, and, and it's not a brand new one, but it, it's, it's a cool one. It would have been brand new to me in 1990. It's a 1990 Marlin skier. skier. It's basically a Mastercraft, and it is a sweet boat, man. It is so retro. It's got Miami Vice co- co- colors on it, but the entire motor is in the middle of the boat, okay, and then it has a shaft that goes through, and the only thing on the outside of the boat is the propeller, and so you give up space in order to have that inboard motor and have that that prop underneath the boat, but it allows you to run in much shallower water, It allows you to control the wake by how you drive the boat. You can make a bigger wake, or if you're slalom skiing, you can have no wake at all. It gives you incredible pulling power. And so it has a massive amount of power to pull a bunch of skiers out of the water. If you've ever seen um, uh, some of those videos where there's like 15 people, they're skiing and they're all on shoulders, it's a boat like this that is pulling them all out of the water because it has an incredible amount of power. But it doesn't have an incredible amount of room inside the boat. You have to give up some room in order to gain the performance. And the thing, the, the coolest thing about them beyond how they sound and how you feel when you're, you're driving one is, man, you can turn on a dime. You can run up into a neck. You can be in about three feet of water, and you can turn that thing and do a 180 and ski right back through and never hit your wakes except for when you turn around. And it is awesome. Now, here's the deal, is that when, when we think of repentance and we think of fake good news, what's going on in the kingdom of God right now that is keeping us from impacting our culture is we have an outward form of repentance. And when repentance is on the outside, what happens is we depersonalize God. And we don't have room for God on the inside, so we hang him on the back or on the outside of our lives so that we can still claim that we are boats but we know that he needs to be on the inside but we put him here on the outside because we don't want to give up space on the inside of the boat to perform in his power as he expects us to perform and so when repentance is on the outside of our bodies we depersonalize God and we empty the word of its power because it's hanging on the outside of our souls and so the word no longer has weight with us. That's why we don't love to read it. It's because it doesn't have weight. We think we're just reading it because we have, if, it, listen, man, if, if, if you get the word on the inside of you, if the word that has been made flesh gets on the inside of the boat of your life, you will love the word of God. And the more you get into it, the more Jesus will use it to blow your mind. If you're trying to do the inboard-outboard thing, you might like it somewhat, but it's still a little bit cumbersome. And if you're on the outboard thing, you don't even think it's relevant. You just go, man, I believe the Bible. I trust my pastor, and that's all that matters. And so I'm like like we look at that, and what we learn is that, that when this happens and, and the word no longer has weight with us, then sin no longer means rebellion against God. So sin, we don't think in terms of it that way. We don't think that we would be offensive to God. So we change what sin is. And Jesus, when, when repentance is on the outside of our lives, then Jesus, and I don't mean that we're not repenting, okay? What I mean is that we're doing fake repentance. And so when, when it's on the outside, when it's coming out of the mouth, then what's happening is the word lose, or loses weight with us, um, that, that, that sin no longer means rebellion against God and Jesus becomes a pattern for living. And so it's optional because there are other great patterns out there. There are other great patterns that people, like we don't have to look at, at, at Buddhism and say that Buddhist people are just horrible, awful people. Like they try to pattern their, th- their lives after good uh, things that, that, that would be good for humanity. But that's not what we're trying to do in Christianity. We're not trying to pattern our lives after Jesus. We're trying to come to a place of realization that Jesus is not just a pattern. Because when that happens, then Jesus is no longer God who died for our sins. And so it becomes, um, uh, we don't understand the necessity of salvation and it becomes optional. So therefore, we don't recognize the need, as the old timers would say, to get right with God. Like every human soul has to come to a point where they recognize who Jesus is as as God in the flesh and, and decide whether or not they are going to turn away from him or get right with him. And when we're believing fake good news, then what happens is we are allowed to come to a place where to say, man, as long as you raise your hand in a service when the pastor is asking you to raise your hand, that's all it takes. I raised my hand when he asked me to raise my hand and therefore I am now saved from my sins. Now, that, that is totally possible. Like it is, it, it, you don't even need to be in church for God to save your soul. What I'm saying though is if all you did was raise your hand and nothing happened on the inside of your life then you did not get saved you just rose your hand raised your hand and made somebody think that you got saved and maybe a lot of people celebrated and clapped and we put it on a number somewhere and said man we had 15 or 20 salvations this week but nothing really happened to the person okay when a person meets Jesus and the real good news hits them you will know because the gospel will come out of them and they will change in the way that they're living. Now, God says... As he, as, as he brings them to this point, and again, I'm pulling all of this out of how God is dealing with Israel 750 years before Jesus comes, and we see that over and over, I don't care what bi- book in the Bible that you look at, you're going to find the gospel. That's what's so amazing about the word of God, is the gospel is all over the Old Testament, it's all over the New Testament. And so God says to them, and what he's been saying to them is you don't love me. You don't acknowledge me. So when, we, we, when he says, what he shows them is, is because of your lack of love and your lack of knowledge of who I really am, then you don't cry out to me from your heart. So when we go to chapter 7 and look at verse 14, this is specifically what God said to the people. They do not cry out from their hearts. Okay. It's like it's not coming from the inside. They were crying out from their mouth, but they weren't crying out from their heart. And so as we we look at this, we begin to wonder, what in the world does God expect of us? What what does he expect from me? Well, Hosea chapter 6 that we started in, when we look at verse 6, it is an incredibly important verse. It is so important that Jesus quotes from it. Um, on multiple occasions. One time he quotes in it in uh, Matthew chapter 9. He does it again in uh, Matthew uh, chapter 12. And, and we see he specifically quotes from the book of Hosea. That's how important this this prophecy was, is that Jesus is making reference to it. And this is what he quotes. For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God, rather then burn offerings. Now, this is really, really important. This word mercy comes from the Hebrew word hased. And the word hased means it has, it has a deeper meaning, okay, um, than just mercy, as we would think about it, show mercy to someone. That's not, like, if you think of this in an American t- context, you're going to miss it totally. The word hased means it, it carries the idea of loyalty, joint obligation, faithfulness, covenant, okay? So he says, I desire said, I desire loyalty. I desire joint obligation. I desire faithfulness, and I desire uh, covenant. And so God, that, what did Jesus say when he instituted the Lord's Supper? I'm giving you a new covenant. And so God get, enters into a covenant relationship with us, and, and so he says, I, I'm not looking for the things that you're doing on the outside. Jesus says, it's not what's on the outside of the cup that, or outside of the man that makes him unholy. It's what's on the inside. And so we have to deal with the inside in order to get right with God. And, and so David sums this up best in Psalm chapter 51, verses 15 um, through 7. Listen to what David says. He says, open my lips, Lord. And then, and then he goes on, he says, my mouth will declare your praises. So he says, God, you open my lips and my mouth will declare your praises. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O oh God, is a broken spirit and a contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. Okay, so here's the deal, man, is they had sacrifices that God told them to engage in, sacrificial worship, where they would bring different types of offerings to worship God. The problem is, is they were just going through the outward motion of it, and there was no inward transformation of their heart, and so they were doing it by rote, obligation. They knew that they needed to do it. They didn't understand why they were doing it. Therefore, they could not do it out of a joyful heart, and God says, that's not what I want. I want your loyalty. I want your faithfulness. I want your joint obligation with me. I want covenant. Like, it's like we, This is why the church is called the bride of Christ. Is he marries us spiritually, and we become his. And he wants us to be loyal in that relationship. And that relationship is is all about believing in the power of his grace, not only to forgive us, but to enable us to walk with him and look different from everyone else around us. Everyone else around us. Because that's the purpose that he chose Israel for in the first place, is to teach all of the nations and even us today what he is like. And so as we walk in that hesed, um, that hesed commitment with God and we allow him to do a work in us, then what happens is we become broken because we realize we are starting to walk in something that we could never earn or never deserve. Now, the tragedy of sin is that it cannot be hidden from God. I, I shared that with you last week. You can't hide from God, and that's what makes sin so tragic. It's that God is holy. It's an attribute of his that we cannot change. And so it, it, sin cannot hide from God. And so if, it is, if, if sin is in our life, then we can't be in fellowship with God. So something has to happen to us deep down on the inside where that sin is in our DNA. <laughs> it's not in what you do, man. It is inside of you, and it, it, it requires a spiritual surgery to get it taken care of. It's not your sacrifices. It's not your giving. It's not how you treat animals, and it's not how you treat your neighbor. It's in you. There is an evil, wicked, rebellious person that is functioning and controlling your body. That's, that's the, that's, that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why God had to become a man in order to deal with it because it is so deeply rooted inside of our DNA. And so David is saying, man, it is a broken and contrite heart. And so true repentance and turning to Jesus is our only hope. That's why Jesus said in Mark chapter 1, Repent. The kingdom has come. The kingdom of God has come, he said. Repent and believe the good news. And so that joint obligation is about that repentance. It's when God starts working, man, and he starts doing something in us, and we recognize Jesus for who he is in all of his glory, the God man, we repent and believe the good news. Like we don't, we don't just believe the good news. There is something that happens deep inside of us that is only possible with God doing a work in us and we start to rejoice in what we've recognized that Jesus has done in our lives and our hearts are broken. And that's our, our final takeaway is real good news cries out from a crushed heart. Like your heart is crushed over sin. A broken and contrite heart is what God expects from us. And so when when we go back to that hesed love and we say, what do you mean joint obligation? I mean that if we are going to be in joint obligation with God in a hesed covenant relationship with him, then we are going to recognize sin for what it is rebelling against God and our hearts are going to be broken. Like they're just gonna be crushed inside of us. And that's the thing that turns our lives around is when we recognize before a holy God we are wicked people. And we go, what am I gonna do? I'm gonna to turn to Jesus, repent of my sin, and believe the good news. And my heart is like, that's why so many people, when they come into the kingdom, they can't even speak, they can't talk, they're just crying uncontrollably because they've come to a recognition of of their sin and the glorious gospel of Christ impacting them and what he did for them on the cross of Calvary. So our hearts are broken over sin, and when our hearts break over our sin, We cry out from contrition. We cry out, man. Not, oh, I think I'm going to decide whether or not I want to be a follower of Jesus. You don't get it, bro. That's not how it works. You will never become a follower of Jesus in the true sense of the word and what Jesus talked about unless he chooses you. And you say, I'm a sinner And you tremble before him and you recognize there's nothing, nothing good in you. And you're broken. And your pride goes away. And your arrogance goes away. And you fall before the throne of God and you worship him in spirit and truth. You see, crushing, this contrition means crushing. And so our hearts are crushed so we cry out remember what david said in the psalm open my lips lord i'm recognizing that you desire a broken heart and a contrite spirit and that's what opens my lips to begin to praise you and so when if there's no crushing (laughs) it's just what he's teaching the nation of israel this is why when they, they looked like they had a form of repentance going on and it didn't deal with sin and it didn't deal with the holiness of God and it was so filled with arrogance and expectation of God is just going to do what he does because he just forgives sinful people. And, and, and when all that was going on, God comes to them and he says, Your love is not hesed. Your love is like the dew in the morning and it just disappears. It's fleeting. And so as that happens, if we don't have a crushing that's going on inside of us, then we don't recognize the holiness of God, and we take on an attitude of we're all sinners, and it's God's job to forgive. But when the crushing takes place, things move to Hesed love. You see, you're not even capable, like, oh, You're not capable of Hesed love unless God does a work in you and he breaks your heart and then you're broken. This is why the awakening started happening is God started crushing people's heart over their sin and they recognized it and there was no just raising your hand. People were getting saved, man, and their culture changed. It shifted in the church and the power of God and the Shekinah glory of God fell on a group of people and a movement started to happen and spill out. But when you're crushed, so, so if there's no crushing, you're just like, we're all sinners and it's God's job to forgive. But when you're crushed, you transform from sinner to saint. Just, like when your heart gets crushed, then you become a saint in the eyes of God. Why is that? It's because your heart is no longer bent toward sin and away from God, rebelling. Your heart now has been reshaped. It is crushed, and He has created a clean heart in you, a new spirit and when, he, when, you, when you allow your heart to be crushed over your sin and you, in, you enter into joint hesed covenant with God, then he gives you a clean heart, a new heart. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is past, the new is come. And so now instead of being bent towards sin and away from God, you're bent toward God and away from sin. And so you no longer love sin like you used to love sin, and you can recognize sin, and you want to flee from sin. You recognize the evil that's going on in the world that you've been held captive to. And just like the nation of Israel was in bondage to Egypt, and God led them out through crossing the Red Sea, we recognize we are in bondage to the devil himself, and God leads us out through parting our own Red Sea on the cross of Calvary. And we get out, man, and we get out and so, so, so your heart is no longer bent towards sin and away from God, it's bent toward God and away from sin and you are saved. <laughs> and that's why, that's why we get so excited, man, is because we realize something is happening inside of us that is supernatural. Now God does this and real quickly to land this thing. I want you to see this. God gives four images to tell us what he sees without the crushing. Like if a heart's not being crushed, God tells Israel, this is what I see. And the first thing is verse four. He says, they are all adulterers burning like an oven whose fire the baker need not stir from the kneading of the dough till it rises. There's a big oven man that they used, a walk-in type thing that was made out of stone. And he says that if your heart has not been crushed, then you're like an oven that consumes. And your passion smolders to sin and sin again. That's what God sees if your heart's not been crushed. Here's the second one. Verse 8 of chapter 7. Ephraim mixes with the nations. Ephraim is a flat loaf not turned over. The second thing that God sees is a half-baked cake. They would take the loaves and they would stick them on the side of the oven. And they would cook. And then they would need to come in and turn them over and stick the other side. And they would cook. Otherwise, they would be half-baked. And so he's saying to them as a half-baked cake, what I see in you, man, is you are crusty, crusty toward me, and you have a soft belly toward the world. That's what God sees. You're crusty toward him, and you're soft toward the world. Verse verse 11, he goes on. He says, Ephraim is like a dove, easily deceived and senseless. A deceived dove is the next image he gives to them. He says, this is what I see. If your heart is not crushed, you're like a deceived dove, and you begin to seek out human solutions to a divine sickness and that's why the entertainment industry is so popular that's why addiction is so powerful and that's why like um, pornography is so addictive and that's why you have all of this stuff this pursuit of money and this pursuit of fame it is a sickness in your soul that is being trying to trying to be solved it's not that that money and fame is bad it's not that at all but it is evil if your heart has never been crushed and you've allowed Christ to cure your sickness. And he says, "Man, if you're chasing all these things, you're like a senseless dove." And then he goes on and he says, in verse 16, "They do not turn to the Most high. they are like a faulty bow." Now, it's like, you're a bad bow, and it is a weapon. And he says, I would love, this is what he's saying in this. I would love to use you to advance my kingdom, but you are incapable of shooting straight, so I can't. It's like if, it, if I put you in a bow, man, and let you out, you would just be harmful to those around me. And so you're not advancing my kingdom, you're advancing your own kingdom and calling it my kingdom if your heart has never been crushed. And so this is what you, like God is telling us, man. He's telling us this is what we see if our hearts have never been crushed over our sin and we're believing the fake good news and we've never had an experience of repentance. And so we go, whoa, bro, what do I do? What do I do? Well, chapter 6 is all about fake good news and them trying to, trying to again, fool God which is foolish, but, but, but chapter 14 ends the prophecy with real good news. And so we're just going to jump back there real quick, and I'm going to share a couple of verses, um, and, 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 and here's the deal. This is what I want you to hear. Israel falls. They never, do, they never do truly repent as a nation, and they fall, and the country falls apart, but we don't have to. Listen to what, how gods he's correcting what they're trying to do here in chapter 6 and verse 14. And in the first two verses, he says this. Return, Israel, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our sins. And receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. Remember what David said? Open my lips, Lord. I recognize it's going to require a broken and contrite. He's saying crush my heart so my lips can actually praise you. And here's the big idea of the talk today. Repent and believe the good news. Like repent and see your sin and repent of it and believe the good news of Jesus. Now, going back to my boat illustration, this is what you've got to hear this, man. You've got to understand what's going on in your life and why I'm taking such great pains to, to, to try to teach you. Is because my job as a shepherd is to teach you the word of God so that you know him. And you're not believing fake good news. You're believing the real good news. The heart is the motor, and the mouth is the propeller. That's why David says, crush my heart and open my lips. That's why he says, take words with you. And the words are your words to recognize your sins, and he will put words on your mouth of praise when you do that. And so the deal is the heart moves the mouth because the mouth can't move the motor. And if you are trying to move the motor with your mouth, you'll never get anywhere with God. Like if you're just confessing with your mouth and they're never touching the heart, you have gotten nowhere with God. But when you let the heart be crushed over the sin, then you can't keep the mouth from Praising the God of the universe because you understand the real good news of the gospel. So I would say to you this morning let sin crush your heart so God can give you His. And that, my friend, will make you unstoppable. And Hebr- or Romans 8.31 teaches us, if God is for us, who can be against us? You see, that's the gospel of Christ is my heart is crushed. And God does a work and he gives me a new one. And my mouth begins to move. And the problem with American Christianity is we got too many motor mouths. Like you think the mouth is the motor and it means that you just are just, just as long as you say the right things, it doesn't matter what you say. If the motor hasn't been given to you by the Lord and it's driving the mouth, then you cannot enter the kingdom of God. It's not what's on the outside of a man that defiles him. It's what's on the inside. And Jesus is the only one who can give you a new heart. I'm going to ask you to bow in prayer with me right now. Heavenly Father, Holy Spirit, you are the only one. You are the the great physician. You are the one that can perform the spiritual surgery. And so I pray in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, Jesus, the name above every name, in the name of the Holy Spirit, that you would do your work. I pray to you, Lord that you would give us an awakening so that our kids can grow up in a world and experience an abundant life. Now pray on behalf of our country, Lord. Like, forgive us for our lack of recognition of what's happening and why culture is the way that it is. And set us on fire as the church, capital C. Lord, let OPCC burn for you. And Lord, let let, let churches all over the land have awakening for you. And do something in our lifetimes that is significant and changes the world that we live in as you change us on the inside. We pray this in the name of Jesus. And amen. Now listen, I—that's the gospel. Like, they're, they're, either either God is doing a work in your life and you accept it, or you don't want to have any of it. Because there's nothing really else I can say, and 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 I just hope that you would like just understand that it's the greatest thing that could ever happen to you, and so be encouraged. And open your lips if God has given you a new heart today and tell somebody about it. And you will never regret it. I opened my lips and I haven't closed them since I learned what it means to be crushed and given a clean heart. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.